Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, though it's a distant memory, the Super Bowl continues to provide benefits to communities throughout the state. We get a preview of the Golden Gopher football season with junior linebacker Carter Coughlin of Eden Prairie, and we take a closer look at back-to-school spending trends. But first... Hundreds of law enforcement officials from around the state and beyond, as well as family and friends, gathered in Arden Hills earlier this week to pay their respects to corrections officer Joseph Gom. Reverend Martin Shanahan had this message for Officer Gom's family. We stand with you, and not only today, but for every day into our collective future. I can assure you, from the very bottom of my heart, Joe will never be forgotten. Gom's friend, Tom Kronakos, delivered a eulogy. Joe was taken away from us far too soon, and it's hard to understand why tragic things like this happen to such good people. Let's celebrate his life today by remembering all the remarkable things that Joe accomplished, how wonderful his life was. Coworker Sean Urich also eulogized his friend. Joe had this way of when I would ask him for help or ask him to do something or whatever, he always finished with whatever. So I never quite knew if he was saying yes to it or no to it. (laughs) But then I got to realize that that was Joe's love language. Whatever to Joe was really that, whatever. Whatever you need. Officials say Gom was killed by an inmate at Stillwater Prison. He was 45 years old. Switching gears now, big political fallout this week from a Star Tribune series revealing what appear to be significant shortcomings in the way law enforcement agencies across the state investigate allegations of sexual assault. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with an update. Scott, political candidates wasted no time jumping into the fray. DFL-endorsed candidate for Governor Aaron Murphy said an investigator should be assigned to every sexual assault complaint, just like with homicides, and she says sex crime investigations should have higher priority than low-level, non-violent drug offenses. It is not something to be swept under the rug. It is something to be considered with that level of severity, just like a homicide. I know law enforcement has discretion. Um, they absolutely do. Uh, they are experts in what they do. This has got to be a higher priority, and I will work with the law enforcement to make that so. Survivor and advocate Abby Honnold supports Murphy's stance and says in her case, the investigator wanted to believe she was lying. The easiest way to root out false accusations is to fully investigate every report. One of Murphy's DFL rivals in the race for governor, Attorney General Lori Swanson, this week announced formation of a task force to report back before the next legislative session on recommended changes to state law. Swanson says, quote, Victims of sexual assault deserve justice, and these cases deserve thorough and proper investigation and prosecution. Swanson says, unlike some states, Minnesota does not mandate training or uniform policies for investigation of sex assault allegations, even though she says they are some of the most difficult and complicated cases that law enforcement agencies face. Republican Senator Warren Limmer from Maple Grove called the stories of sex assault cited in the report horrific. Limmer assured Minnesotans the legislature, quote, will be digging deeper to find out why Minnesota's law enforcement agencies have failed so many women and what can be done to ensure justice for sexual assault victims. Governor Mark Dayton called it a shocking report that brings to light something he says he was not aware of. And the governor was also not happy with the initial response of the state agency that licenses law enforcement officers. I was very disappointed 
in the uh, lethargic response of the director of the state uh, post board uh, that somehow they can't do anything without legislative direction. I, I just don't, I don't buy that. I think uh, depending on how you word it, whether they can go through formal rulemaking may not be possible uh, without legislative direction, but there's a lot of initiative they could take to uh, determine uh, around the country what's the, what are the best practices that are being followed uh, for uh, sensitive uh, and, and responsible responses to uh, to victims and to make that uh, training available on a you know, voluntary basis, certainly, but, but to make it widely known to uh, investigators all over the, the state, what uh, what what's, what resources are out there, and how they can how they can be ready to respond in a more um, humane and, and effective way. I'm going to write a letter to the post board. It's in draft form now, uh, urging that they uh, aggressively uh, explore what their range of possibilities are, and uh, bring that. Uh, Discuss that at their next meeting and inform me of what their results. But you know, the, for an executive director of a board who's responsible full time for managing his activities, just to show the level of really of callous indifference was really appalling. And uh, you know, that's all the enthusiasm that he can muster for something that is as vitally important as this. Then he he doesn't belong in that job. The governor is talking about Nate Gove, executive director of the Minnesota Board of Peace Officer Standards and Training, and we asked Gove for a response. Keep in mind what you saw uh, quoted it was after a lengthy conversation I had with the Star Tribune, and really what I was trying to say is I have not heard from lawmakers, law enforcement, advocacy groups uh, that there had been any issues regarding how sexual in- assault investigations are performed in Minnesota, and certainly no desire that, hey, we need a model policy, we need additional training. Um, Obviously, it's been uh, laid out uh, in the first series that there appears to be some issues, and the Post Board is certainly uh, eager to to be involved in that process to uh, solve those. What kind of things can you do uh, short-term uh, short of legislative action, because the likelihood of the legislature coming back into session before January is pretty low. Well, certainly one of the issues our board will be looking at is, is within our rules, we do have the ability to mandate specific training courses um, and, and, and specific hours. The board can do that in certain areas. And, and one option to explore is to ensure that all uh, uh, investigators that investigate uh, sexual assault cases have uh, are going to or have had specialized training. My experience has been is that they certainly have had specialized training. And one of the things I can tell you is that we have numerous courses that are approved by the board in terms of um, uh, you know uh, a sexual assault uh, protocol and investigation that are approved by the board that are offered by the board. Um, uh, out there, and, and we've been offering courses on sexual assault investigation since practically the inception uh, of the board. So uh, that's one area, and then certainly to, to work with stakeholders to look at, well, what, what type of policy recommendations can we make 
to the legislature. Um, when people say, you know, we need a legislative directive, the post board knows what to do. We just don't have statutory authority to immediately build a model policy and mandate it for all th- 431 law enforcement agencies in Minnesota. That's an option to look at to make recommendations to get that statutory authority like we have in other areas uh, where there are model policies. Late in the week, the Post Board scheduled a special meeting in early August to consider updating its policies on sexual assault investigations. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Even though the Super Bowl here last February is a distant memory, the event is still having an impact. The Minnesota Super Bowl host committee recently announced it awarded a dividend of $1,475 each to state youth and family wellness programs. In fact, during its 52 weeks of giving program in the year leading up to the Super Bowl, $5.5 million in grants went to projects statewide. I spoke with Legacy Fund VP Dana Nelson about the long-lasting impact the program will have and where the surprise extra money came from. So we're in the process of, you know, we're closing closing our office, closing our fund, right? Kind of everything comes to an end with the Super Bowl because obviously the game is over, uh, was played in February. And so as part of closing the fund, um, we were hoping to have funds available or funds left over to be able to do additional grants. So um, as we're closing the fund with those, we did have dollars left over and our board of advisors said that the, you know, the best or most equitable way to use those funds was to divide it equally amongst the 52 grantees that we had worked with across the 52 weeks. And what, uh, what kind of dollar amount are we talking about here? Yep, so we divided it equally, so each of those grantees, the 52 organizations, got a check, and it was a bit of a surprise, so it was kind of fun, um, and they each got $1,475. That's fantastic, and I, I yeah. know I know that there are, uh, as you mentioned, 52 grantees, so there's a, there's a lot there, um, but what I'm hoping you can do is just maybe give for me maybe two or three of the of the recipients of some of these extra funds, just so we have a sense of uh, kind of the the range of places in Minnesota that are getting the money and the the types mm-hmm. of of programs that are receiving the money. Just a couple examples, if you don't mind. I'm happy to. Yeah. So you know, our focus was really to um, to make sure that the entire state was represented in these 52 weeks. 
So, um, you know, the, the list is broad. So each week we, you know, we, we gave a grant. So and everyone says, what was your favorite, right? Because each week we were in a different community and, and the grants were so different. The work was just so gorgeous, right, each week. So um, a couple that come to mind um, in the Mille Lacs, um area, the uh, Band of Ojibwe, they're doing these greenhouses. And, um, and so they did a greenhouse expansion. And um, so it was, it was a really cold day, the wind coming off the lake, and um, they built a fire, and we were inside in the greenhouse and the warmth of the sun coming in the greenhouse. And the ability to expand, um, you know, to build additional greenhouses is what the grant, so the original grant was uh, just under $100,000. And, um, you know, the importance of, of young people growing their own food and, and year-round, you know, fresh produce um, uh, on the reservation in particular and food sovereignty. I mean, all these really, really important issues. Um, so, you know, a grant from the Super Bowl to be able to, to expand the greenhouse program is amazing. So you might think, what's a grant of, you know, barely $1,500 going to do? But we got an incredible note from them that was just, you know, they were gushing and it's, you know, more seeds, more supplies. Um, and I think the, the idea that it's a surprise, too, is just kind of like this extra money that everyone's working so hard, um, and these programs are working generally on shoestring budgets. So surprise money, and they're all doing such great work, right? It's, it's to forward their mission. So that was one. Um, I think in uh, the Twin Cities, we had some, you know, uh, well, obviously they're all great, great programs. In St. Paul, uh, a group of um, Hmong leaders built, uh, worked with St. Paul Parks and Rec to build, um, it's called Sipik Takra, or Kato, it's a Southeast Asian sport, and retrofitted tennis courts to make these um, courts. So it looks kind of like volleyball played with your feet with a smaller ball, like a really hard ball, really hard to play. I tried, keep trying. Um, really gorgeous to watch, really fun. This is our second grant, so week two. And, um, and the courts were finished this past uh, spring. And um, so, again, you know, $1,500, what's that going to do? But that can buy a lot of those balls, like buy a lot of supplies. Uh, you know, they can, they can pay coaches and do kind of, you know, whatever they want with this, essentially this, this last stipend or, or last grant to forward the work. And they were so excited. Um, they'd been working fundraising for 20 years to make this happen, and these were the first Coteau courts in the United States to be built. So it's just, it's really historic. It's a really exciting work. Very good. And do you have a sense of what kind of a lasting impact something like this may have on these communities through these programs? Well, we were really intentional about um, choosing projects that were, you know, capital projects. So these are big projects. These are parks, the courts, the gardens. Um, and so really the life of life expectancy of these projects is five, seven, ten years. And these partners, you know, this work is so important to them. They're going to sustain this work and sustain these projects and continue to invest in them. So, you know, I think five to ten years is not an understatement or an overstatement of, uh, of the work and how long it will last. So, you know, the, the Super Bowl is come and gone, and um, these 52 projects will, will have this incredible long-lasting effect kids that were, you know, babies um, when the Super Bowls played and had no idea that, that it happened in our state, you know, can play in a park when they're 10 um, or older, and that will be the impact of, of these dollars. Thank you to my guest, Dana Nelson, with the Minnesota Super Bowl Legacy Fund. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Fall football camp for the Golden Gophers is fast approaching, set to begin this coming week. Three Minnesota players, including junior linebacker Carter Coughlin of Eden Prairie, junior linebacker Thomas Barber of Plymouth, and senior running back Rodney Smith of Jonesboro, Georgia, spent time in Chicago at Big Ten Football Media Days this past week to preview the season. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm was also in the Windy City covering the event. He sat down with Coughlin for Minnesota Matters. Well, Carter Coughlin, uh, put into words what uh, these couple of days in Chicago uh, have meant and what it's been like to uh, rub shoulders with other players that are really good around the league and uh, meeting with all these media guys. Yeah, well, first off, it's been an absolute honor uh, being chosen by Coach Fleck to come here and represent the University of Minnesota. Um, It's been a really cool opportunity, I think, for players like myself to be able to explain to fans and to everybody else listening um, what the program means to us because often you hear a lot about the coaches and what they think but this is a really unique opportunity for us to put into words um, what what the program means to us and you know things like row the boat coming from Minnesota and how much that means to me personally just so everybody knows it's it's not just Coach Fleck. What does it mean to you Uh, what what this culture is about we hear Coach Fleck talk about culture what does it mean to you? Well, to me, it's just all about serving and giving. And, you know, whether that be with, um, you know, the community and going to the children's hospital, doing food drives, all those different things that um, are major- majorly player-led. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the football team, serving and giving for your teammates, making sure that you're making all the right decisions on and off the field and all four er- areas of our life that we talk about. So um, to me, that's the biggest thing about the roll the bolt culture. And then um, just using that to, to change people's lives. You uh, talked to me earlier in the week about your first visit to the uh, to the Children's Hospital on campus uh, when, when P.J. Fleck got here and how it kind of changed your entire outlook, right? Absolutely, yeah. It, uh, it's, it, it was just the craziest thing for me to, to look a kid in the, in the face who's, you know, battling with cancer, who may be on their deathbed potentially, um, going through things that I can't even imagine going through and being able to light up their, their world the smile on their face, give them hope, and tell them to keep rowing and that we're rowing with them. Um, it's just an unbelievable opportunity, and it's all because of football. And so that's just what's so cool about football is it's given me an awesome platform, and it gives um, college students all around the country an awesome platform. You get to bring them, like, uh, gear or gifts or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. We always come in with uh, with gift bags. There's one visit, too, that was really cool. It was Superhero Day. So we got to walk around with, shoot, we probably had, like, 100 balloons between all of us. And we walked into different rooms, and, you know, we tie it on um, baby's feet or um, give them to little girls, little boys, all that kind of stuff, and ask them about their favorite superheroes, and then present them with a the gift bag that has oars in it, compass coin, explain to them what, what all those different things mean. All right. When you made that first visit, you told me that you went back to your uh, apartment and you have roommates who are teammates. Mm-hmm. And what'd you tell those guys? Yes, sir. Um, I told them that it was one of the most life-changing experiences. And, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect going into it because I had never been to the children's hospital before. But I told them that it gives you a completely different perspective on life. And, you know, when you think you're going through something tough, Coach Fleck always says there's somebody who has it way worse. And you see it firsthand when you go to the children's hospital. And that's why it's unbelievable. And so I told my guys, I was like, you guys need to to do this at least once and since then um, everybody has and we all go as much as we possibly can. 
Just put a smile on their face, that's for sure. It's uh, on campus with the Masonic Children's Hospital. Well, let's talk some football here. Carter Coughlin with us from Eden Prairie. He's a, a, a linebacker slash defensive end. Um, how eager are you? Fall camp's just around the corner to uh, get going with the real football now. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, I love hitting people, so just the <laughs> fact that we get to throw on some pads is is really exciting. Um, I've also been working on my pass rush moves and up till this point, it's you know it's all looked really good on a on a dummy, but it's a lot different going against someone live. Well, here in Chicago, uh, we've seen a couple of different polls, and they have the Golden Gophers fifth or sixth in the division. Do you care? Do you use that as motivation, or do you just go about your business wanting to prove people wrong? Yeah, I'd say it's just more wanting to prove people wrong. As a football team, we talk about all that matters is what's within our four walls, and that's so that's our team. It doesn't matter what anybody else's opinion, and I mean that even includes family and friends. You know, it's all about what we believe and what we know to be true about ourselves. So I'm really excited to prove people wrong this year. August 30th, the first one. Good luck. We look forward to watching you. Yeah, thank you very much. That's Gopher player Carter Coughlin and Mike Grimm on Minnesota Matters. The Gophers open the season in a primetime Thursday night game at TCF Bank Stadium on August 30th against New Mexico State. The Gophers are looking to improve upon their 5-7 and seven season a year ago during head coach P.J. Fleck's first season. Fleck says his team is still inexperienced, but he's confident they can win games. The Big Ten season starts on September 22nd when Minnesota visits Maryland. For more information on Gopher football, you can log on to gophersports.com. Minnesota Matters will return after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Summer, of course, is winding down, and that means back-to-school season is kicking off. MN's Tasha Radel has more. The back-to-school and college shopping season is in full swing, but many parents and college students say they're waiting for the best deals to complete their shopping lists. According to the National Retail Federation's annual survey, spending for K-12 schools and college combined is projected to reach $82.8 billion, nearly as high as last year's $83.6 billion. Joining me now to break down the data even further is St. Thomas Marketing Professor Emeritus David Brennan. David, let's talk about overall sales. Well, it seems to be pretty much flat in terms of spending, but it's already both uh, for K-12 as well as college, tends to be pretty high levels uh, right off the bat. What is the average person going to spend this year? Well, it all depends. In terms of the K-12 is uh, uh, over $500, and it's over uh, $900 for college students. And a lot of the the reason why college spending is uh, higher is because 
more computers and also in terms of more dorm and uh, apartment uh, types of things for the apartment. good example of that is IKEA has been running ads for the last couple of weeks showing a gal uh, who's equipping her, uh, her uh, apartment with uh, all kinds of uh, things from IKEA. And when we think of back-to-school spending, um, are, are folks going to be shopping online or going actually into brick-and-mortar stores? I think it's a mixed bag. I think that uh, most uh, are, almost half are going to shop online. And that allows them to get things either at a lower price or unique things that they wouldn't be able to get in the store. And do you think when it comes to back-to-school uh, shopping that the, the, the kids and the college students are in the driver's seat or parents when it comes to the amount they're going to spend? That's a good question. I think that uh, it's a combination of both of those things. But certainly, as far as clothing, it's probably more a uh, child or uh, young adult-driven uh, rather than in terms of uh, parents. On the other hand, in terms of essentials and the like, uh, a lot of that is going to be driven by whatever the, the list of things that they need for school. So you even put the school uh, into that uh, bailiwick as well. And, you know, we always talk about back-to-school sales, you know, with uh, many people uh, shopping early. Do you feel that those good deals are going to last right up until uh, the school start? Uh, absolutely. Uh, there will be uh, off-again, on-again sales throughout the whole period of time. So if, you, if, if what you're looking for now is not on sale, there will likely be a sale on it uh, as we get closer to uh, the beginning of school. This year, the National Retail Federation found that nearly 8 out of 10 back-to-school and college shoppers took part in Prime Day earlier this month. Was this surprising to you how successful Amazon's Prime event was? Um, I'm not. Uh, for one thing, uh, Prime is a loyalty. You pay for it, $119 a year. And this is one way that they can give back, so to speak, to their uh, loyal customers. And I think if you look at it, it's a sizable deal. It's in excess of $3 billion uh, on one particular day, uh, other than uh, Cyber Monday uh, after uh, uh, Black Friday. Uh, it's uh, it's right up there in terms of the uh, volume that generated. And I expect that what's going to happen over a longer period of time, that Amazon will likely expand that uh, incrementally, perhaps as long as a, a full week at some point. According to the survey, back-to-school shoppers plan to spend the most on clothing, around $240. In addition to apparel, back-to-school shoppers also plan to spend nearly $188 on electronics, such as computers, calculators, or phones, another 140 on shoes, and just over 120 on supplies such as notebooks, pencils, backpacks, and lunchboxes. Thanks again to my guest, St. Thomas Marketing Professor Emeritus, David Brennan. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.